The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister, the Reverend William McRae. Number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Reverend William McRae. My constituent, Constable Philippa Rounds, is being buried this afternoon, having been killed on duty with the PSNI in Londonderry. I'm sure the whole House will join with me in expressing sympathy to her family and also acknowledge her dedicated service. Mr Speaker, the horsemeat scandal has not only seriously undermined confidence in the safety of the food we eat, but threatens a very successful meat industry. Can the Prime Minister assure me that this Government will relentlessly follow every lead until each individual person or business responsible for any criminal or fraudulent act has been caught, exposed, prosecuted and then expelled from ever again having any part in the UK food industry. I fully support what the Honourable Gentleman has said, but first of all, let me just join him in praising Constable Reynolds. She died going about her job, keeping people safe in the community that she loved, Uh, as well as wishing the two other injured officers a full and quick recovery. I would join him in sending my deepest condolences and those of everyone in this House to Constable Reynolds' colleagues and her loved ones. On the issue of this appalling situation where people buying beef products in supermarkets are finding out that it could be horse meat, let me say this, let me remind uh, and bring the House up to date if I can. On the 15th of January it was that the Irish authorities identified problems in a number of beef products. On the 16th of January I said to the House that I had asked the FSA to conduct an urgent investigation. As part of that investigation there's been more testing and tracing and this enhanced testing regime actually led to the results from Findus and others about not just contamination, but in some instances, horse meat being passed off as beef. Now, this is completely unacceptable. That's why it's right that the Secretary of State has led these meetings with retailers and producers. We've agreed a tougher inspection regime. We've asked hospitals and schools and prisons to check with their suppliers that they are testing their products. As he knows, and as the House knows, yesterday the police and the FSA raided two premises, one in West Yorkshire, the other in West Wales. And as he says, if there has been criminal activity, there should be the full intervention of the law. And let me just say this. We've also asked for meaningful tests from retailers and producers, and those will be published in full. But he's right to say what he does. Rory Stewart. Um, On a week when both sides of the House have celebrated the wonders of the United Kingdom, I'm delighted to discover that I now represent a Midlands constituency. Would the Prime Minister please join in celebrating a culture that touches both sides of the English-Scottish border by celebrating Cumbria Day with us today? Well, I'm very much looking forward to um, uh, joining my honourable friend at the celebration of Cumbria Day here in the House of Commons. He's incredibly fortunate to represent one of the most beautiful and brilliant constituencies in the House of Commons. I remember particularly the time we spent at the Butcher's Arms in his constituency, an outstanding pub in a very beautiful part of our world. Ed Miliband. Can the Prime Minister tell us whether at the end of this Parliament living standards will be higher or lower than they were at the beginning? What we are doing is helping working people 
by taking 24 million people and giving them a tax cut this year, and living standards will certainly be higher for those people on the minimum wage, working full-time, whose income tax bill has already been halved under this government. Mr Speaker, it was ever such a simple question. I just want a simple answer. In, in, two, in, two, in 2015, people will be asking, am I better off now than I was five years ago? What's his answer? The answer is people will be a lot better off than they were under Labour with a record deficit, with unreformed welfare, with a busted banking system. They will have seen a government that's got the deficit down, that's cut their income taxes, that's dealt with the banks, and as the Governor of the Bank of England said today, is on the road to recovery. All he shows is how out of touch he is. And, and he's even out of touch with his own Office of Budget Responsibility figures. Because what they show is that by 2015, people will be worse off than they were in 2010. Because prices have been rising faster than earnings under him. And why is this happening? It's because he told us the economy would be growing. He told us the economy would be growing, but the truth is it has been flatlining. Will he acknowledge that it's his failure to get growth, which means that we're having falling, not rising, living standards in this country? Well, first of all, he says prices are rising. I'd remind him that inflation is lower under this government than what we inherited from Labour. It has been cut in half from its peak. But of course, if his question is, have you had to take difficult decisions to deal with the deficit, to get on top of the problems that we face, to reform welfare, to clean up our banks, you bet we've had to take difficult decisions. But no one, no one in this country is in any doubt about why we've had to take difficult decisions. It's because of the mess that he left. First of all, the deficit is going up, not down, under him because of his economic, because of his economic failure. And secondly, we have a flatlining economy, and this will be the question of the next two years, declining living standards as a result. But of course, amidst falling living standards, there is one group for whom the good times will come this April. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, can he just remind us what the thinking was when he decided to provide an average tax cut of £100,000 for everyone earning over £1 million in this country? He should be familiar with the figures. When he put the top rate of tax up to 50 pence, millionaires paid £7 billion less in tax. That is what happened under his plans. But I'll tell him what is going to happen in April. Every single taxpayer in this country, all 24 million of them, will see a tax cut as we raise the personal allowance. As we get close to the goal that we have of being able to earn £10,000 without paying any income tax at all. And of course the biggest tax cut has been for those hard-working people on minimum wage going out to work day after day who've seen their income tax bills cut in half. That's who we stand for and that's who we're helping. No matter how much he blusters, he knows the truth. He's cut tax credits, he's raised VAT and people are worse, not better off. And doesn't it speak to how out of touch he is, Mr Speaker? Last week, last week he attended the Tory party winter ball. He auctioned off a portrait of himself for a hundred for a hundred thousand pounds. And then and then 
Speaker. And then, Mr. Speaker. And then, Mr. Speaker, he declared without a hint of irony the Tories are no longer the party of privilege. Mr. Speaker, you couldn't make it up. Now, let me put the question another way. We're talking about people earning £20,000 a week. Let, him, let me ask him the question again. What is it about them that made him think this April they needed extra help to keep the wolf from the door? It is this government that's helped working people by freezing the council tax, cutting the petrol duty, cutting tax for 24 million people and legislating so they get the lowest tariff on their energy bill. That is what we've done while having a top rate of tax that is lower than any year when he was, that is higher than any year he was ever in the Treasury. But he talks about important political events and political speeches. Perhaps he could confirm this because I have an invitation. It's, he is going to make a major speech tomorrow. And I've got the invitation. This is the invitation that's been sent out. Ed Miliband is going to make a major speech on the economy on Thursday. It won't have any new policies in it. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, let me tell him, let me tell him, let me tell him, he'd be most welcome to attend the speech and he might learn something. the evidence mounts against him on the economy. There's a living standards crisis for the many, and all he does is stand up for a few at the top. We've got a failing Prime Minister, he's out of touch, and he stands up for the wrong people. Once again we've heard nothing to say about the deficit, nothing to say about welfare, nothing to say about growth, and now he's going to make a speech tomorrow, which he kindly invites me to, but I have to say if there aren't any policies, what would be the point of coming? And, and let, me, let, me, let me refer him to his policy guru, the Honourable Member for Dagenham. He's responsible for Labour's manifesto, and he says this, simply opposing the cuts without an alternative is no good. That is right. The whole front bench opposite is no good. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. The welfare state and the NHS are there to support our constituents when they fall on difficult times. Will the Prime Minister assure the House that he will not allow them to be abused by illegal immigrants and nationals who are coming here as benefit tourists? I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. Look, Britain has always been an open and welcoming economy, but it isn't right if our systems are being abused. And that is why I chaired yesterday a committee meeting in Whitehall, which my right honourable friend, the, member for, the, the, the Minister for Immigration, is leading, where we are going to look at every single one of our systems, housing, health, um, uh, benefits and to make sure that we are not a soft touch for those who want to come here. I think it is absolutely vital that we get this right. There are many parts of our current arrangements which simply don't pass a simple common sense test in terms of access to housing, access to the health service, access to justice and other things which should be the right of all British citizens but they're not the right of anyone who just chooses Nigel to come here. Dogs. If the Prime Minister is really serious about tackling the serious problem of misleading uh, labelling and the contamination of product, what possible future is there for the future of his coalition with the Lib Dems? <laughs> um, I, uh, <laughs> um, 
that the coalition must be clearly labelled at all points. But he does reference an important point, which is this, which is this. Retailers, I think, do bear a real responsibility here. At the end of the day, it is they who are putting products on their shelves and have got to say that they're really clear about where that meat came from, what it was, uh, who it was supplied by. It's up to them to test that, and I think that's vitally important. Mr Speaker, will my right honourable friend confirm that with our plans to cap social care bills at £75,000, we are finally starting to defuse that ticking time bomb that is adult social care? The Act will allow an insurance market to grow to protect against liability, and we are helping people protect their family homes in their old age. I think the Honourable Lady makes an important point, and frankly, I would have thought look, every member of Parliament has heard this from their own constituents and in meetings with groups like Age Concern and others, that right now it is completely unfair that the fickle finger of fate can pick you out for dementia or Alzheimer's and you lose the house that you've invested your lifetime savings in. It isn't fair, and for the first time this Government has come up with the money to make sure that we put a cap on what any family has to spend. It is the biggest pro-inheritance move that any government has made in 20 years. And let's be absolutely clear, the intention is not that people should have to spend £75,000, but because we put a cap in place, there should be a proper insurance market. I don't want anyone to have to pay anything, and that is what these reforms can help achieve. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister is rightfully shocked that the revelations that many food products contain 100% horse does he share my concern that, if tested, many of his answers may contain 100% bull? <laughs> I, I, um, it's a very good, uh, good, good line, but I, mean, I do think this is a serious issue, and I hope, I hope that. Uh, Look, I hope people, people are genuinely worried about what they're buying at the supermarket, and I really think we've got to get a grip of this rather than uh, uh, make jokes about it. But, uh, but uh, I'll think of another one by the end of the session. Penny Mordaunt. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister take a dim view of people that say one thing and do another? Like We must hear the Honourable Lady. The Honourable Lady must be heard. Yeah. Yeah. Like campaigning against Greenfield development and then voting for it, as the Liberal Democrat candidate in Eastleigh has. Can I wish her well in her campaign to help uh, Portsmouth Football Club? I think it's very important what she does. On the issue of uh, the Eastleigh by-election, and I hope all my honourable friends will be joining me on the campaign trail in Eastleigh. What I would say to people in Eastleigh, if you want a straight-talking candidate that does exactly what it says on the tin, Maria Hutchins is a local mum. say to the House, I am defeated in my attempts to get a response from South West London NHS on behalf of my constituent, Mr Aziz, who has pulmonary hypertension, chronic lung disease and left heart disease. 
They will not respond to my correspondence as to whether they will agree to look at allowing Professor Madden, the world-famous cardiologist, in his prescription of sildenafil for his treatment. I can get no response, and my constituent may die should he not get a decision. No, I'm very happy to take up the case that the Honourable Lady quite rightly raises in the House. If she gives me the details, I'll see what I can do to try and get a better answer from the health authority. Mr David Mowat. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Each year, many dozens of my constituents have to sell their house in order to pay for social care. This is random and unfair. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that the proposals announced last week will at last start to mitigate this issue? I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. As he said, it is completely random who can end up suffering from dementia and then suddenly find that because they could be spending five, ten or even more years in a care home, it completely wipes out all of their savings that they carefully put away through a hard-working life. And for, to cap uh, the cost for the first time, I think, is a major breakthrough. I think it's a progressive move, but it also, I think, will help hard-working families that want to save and pass on their house to their children. It'll be this government that's made it possible. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Since the coalition came to power, some 350 libraries have closed. The community secretary has, the community secretary has dismissed those campaigning to save local libraries, those parents hoping to teach their children to read, those who want to study our history and literature as just a bunch of lovies. Whatever happened to the big society? Prime Minister. I strongly support uh, our libraries and in, in my own constituency uh, we've worked very hard to make sure that libraries will be staying open and they will be staying open. He asks about the big society. I think part of the answer to help keep libraries open is to tap the enthusiasm of communities to volunteer in libraries and to work in libraries to keep them open. And I'm sure that he, like me, will welcome the report this week that volunteering is up, that charitable giving is up, and I think the big society has a big role to play in keeping libraries open, sometimes in the teeth of opposition from Labour councils. Mr Stephen Williams. Thank you Mr Speaker. On Saturday I spoke at an event in my constituency organised by Christian Aid and hosted by the Woodlands Church in Clifton on tax avoidance in developing countries. Would, my, would the Prime Minister agree with me that we could do much to combat this problem by assisting developing countries to develop their own tax collection and assessment capabilities, but also requiring British companies to be completely transparent about profits made and taxes paid in each country of operation? Yeah. Yeah, and I think my honourable friend makes a very important point. I think there are huge amounts of things we can do here. The work we've done with some uh, less developed countries has actually seen their tax base uh, sometimes as much as treble. Uh, and we need to do far more in all these countries because it's an absolutely vital part of development. The issue he raises with respect to tax transparency I also agree with and that's why this government is putting it at the head of our G8 agenda for the G8 meeting that will take place in, in June at Lochern in, in Northern Ireland. I think one of the great things about this agenda is it brings together both developing and developed countries with a shared agenda. That's good for both. David Simpson. The Prime Minister gave the House an update on the EU negotiations on the budget. The Prime Minister will know that regional aid, which comes from the EU, plays an important role for some of the regional assemblies when it comes to attracting inward investment. Can he give the House an update on the continuation of regional aid? 
What I'd say to the honourable gentleman is that the outcome of the budget leaves the amount of overall regional aid that Britain will be receiving broadly similar to the last period at around €11 billion. There are changes in the definitions of regions, partly because there's this new concept of the transition region that has come in. And so what we now need to do is to sit down as the United Kingdom and work out how best to uh, make sure the money is fairly uh, divided between Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland and England. There are transition regions in England that are looking to benefit, but I'm sure we can have fruitful discussions and come to a good conclusion. Friend amused that the Leader of the Opposition and the Deputy Prime Minister are both trying to claim credit for his brilliant move to achieve a real times cut in the EU budget. And does he hope that they will now follow his lead and both call for a referendum to be put to the British people? I, I, uh, I hope that, first of all, um, they will convince their MEPs to vote for the budget reduction. I think that would be helpful. I also hope we can make some progress on this referendum issue because the Shadow Chancellor, who's shouting as ever from a sedentary position, was asked the question, would Labour support an EU referendum? And he said, that slightly depends on how stupid we are, doesn't it? That was the uh, opening gambit. He went on to say, we've absolutely not ruled out a referendum, which is slightly in contrast to the leader of the Labour Party, who said, we don't want an in-out referendum. Perhaps when they've come up with an answer to this question, they'll come to the House of Commons and tell us what it is. According to a Freedom of Information answer, there were 4,000 fewer uniformed police officers on London streets after the Prime Minister's first two years in office, with the percentage of crimes being solved in London down as well. Why has the Prime Minister broken his promise to protect frontline policing? Well, first of all, crime is down by 10%, not just generally, but actually specifically in uh, the Honourable Member's area, in the Harrow Community Safety Partnership area. That's a much greater reduction than for the whole of the Metropolitan Police area. The number of neighbourhood police officers is actually up since the election from 895 to 3,418, and there are many fewer officers in back office jobs. In 2010, there were 1,346 of them. That is now less than a thousand. So I think on all this, what we've seen is, a, yes, a reform agenda for the police. Yes, there have been spending reductions, but crime is down and visible policing is up. Sir Peter Tapsell. With Japan, the Eurozone and Switzerland all talking down their currencies, despite the statement by the G7 yesterday, does my right honourable friend agree that the most important aim of the G20 meeting in Moscow this coming weekend should be to establish means to prevent competitive devaluation, which in the 1930s caused... I was alive then. He was a young man. Which in the 1930s, as I can remember from my father's experience, caused widespread unemployment and the protectionism that goes with it. 
first of all, I'd like to confirm my right honourable friend wasn't only alive in the 1930s, as now he was absolutely thriving, uh, I'm sure. Uh, I, I think what he says is important. No one wants to see a string of competitive devaluations. Obviously, what happened to sterling uh, as a result of the very deep recession here was a depreciation. I don't believe that you depreciate your way to growth, whatever country you are, but what you should do is use the benefit when that, and there's a structural change to make sure you increase your competitiveness, and that is what Britain needs to do. Mr Jim Cunningham. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Can I say to the Prime Minister in relation to care for the elderly that he can't have it both ways in terms of delivery and quality, but at the same time have council cuts? For example, in Coventry, an extra £28 million has got to be cut from their budget. Birmingham, £600 million, plus nearly a 1,000 jobs over a period of two or three years in Coventry. Can we have a fair deal for the elderly? Can we have a fair deal for Coventry? And can we have a fair deal for the West Midlands? What I'd say to the Honourable Gentleman is that the start of this government in 2010, when we made the decision not to cut the NHS, we did put NHS money into adult social care in local government because we recognised the importance of that budget. I would also argue that the move this week to cap social care costs, of course that doesn't solve the whole problem, but if you can create a cap on what people will be charged, you can create an insurance market so that everyone can try and protect themselves against the long-term costs of social care, and that should see more money coming into this absolutely vital area. Charlie Elphick. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the uh, Prime Minister join me in welcoming figures from the Council of Mortgage Lenders that shows the number of first-time buyers has hit a five-year high? certainly join my honourable friend. I think this has been a problem that has dogged our economy over the last few years is that no one wants us to go back to 110% mortgages that we had uh, during the the boom times, but we do need to make available to young people the chance that both earning a decent salary to be able to buy a decent flat or a decent house with a mortgage that doesn't require a massive deposit. That hasn't been possible for people in recent years, and I think the Bank of England move on the funding for lending scheme, £80 billion, is now really feeding through to the mortgage market and making available lower mortgages at a, at a, at a decent long-term rate. And that's very important for our market. Stephen Pound. Yeah. 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 Thank you, sir. Yeah. Further to the uh, rather acerbic exchange with the Leader of the Opposition earlier on, can I ask the Prime Minister if he will tell the House whether he will personally benefit from the millionaires' tax cuts to be introduced this April? I will pay pay all the taxes uh, that are due in the proper way. But the point I'd make to him, the point I'd make to him, he sat on this side of the house there was a top rate of tax that was lower than the one we're putting in place and I didn't hear any groaning from him then Thank you Mr Speaker A a typical council taxpayer in my constituency of Abbott Conway will now pay £124 more than they did in 2010 because the money made available to the Welsh Government has actually been used by the Labour Government in Cardiff to fund their pet projects and to secure their majority in the Assembly. Does the Prime Minister share my concern that hard-working families in Wales are being used in order to fund the Labour Party's pork barrel politics in Cardiff Bay? Yes, sir. 
Well, I think my honourable friend makes a very good point. This government has made available money for a council tax freeze. That has the consequences in Wales that that money is there for a council tax freeze. And people in Wales know who to blame if their council tax isn't frozen. It is the Labour Assembly government in Wales. They're to blame. They're the ones who are charging hard-working people more for their council tax. Ian McKenzie. Tell us about that Last October, we all remember the Prime Minister promised he would legislate to force energy companies to put customers on the lowest tariff. Can the Prime Minister explain why his energy bill contains no such commitment and why he has broken that promise? Prime Minister. Well, I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, he's completely wrong. The energy bill does exactly what I said in the House. It is legislating to force companies to give people the lowest tariff. Dr Julian Huppert. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Schools. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr Speaker, that the opposition don't want... Oh, order. It's, order. it's very discourteous of the House to issue a collective groan. <laughs> benches and it's quite inexplicable. I've called the good doctor. Let's hear from the good doctor. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Schools in Cambridgeshire have been underfunded for decades by both that government and the previous one. The latest figure shows that pupils in Cambridgeshire get £600 per pupil per year, less than the English average, the worst in the entire country. Does the Prime Minister agree that this is simply unfair? Will he support the Cambridge News Fair Deal for Our Schools campaign and pledge to end this discrepancy in this Parliament? I'll look carefully at what my honourable friend says. What I would say to him, though, is obviously we've protected the school's budget so that the per-pupil funding is the same throughout this Parliament, so headteachers can plan on that basis. And obviously, by encouraging academy schools and free schools, we're making sure that schools get more of the education money going directly to them. On for Vogue. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The IFS described the Chancellor's tax changes and benefit cuts as giving with one hand and taking away with many others. Does the Prime Minister think that this is fair on hard-working families, where at the same time he is giving to millionaires with both hands? Well, I don't agree with the Honourable Lady that that's what the IFS say. As I quoted last week, the IFS point out that actually the highest increase in terms of tax payments has come from the better off and that the changes the government has made are particularly helping hard-working people on the minimum wage who are going to see their income tax bill cut in half. That's what we're doing under this government and we won't forget the abolition of the 10p tax rate that clobbered every hard-working person in the country. Mr Richard Harrington. Mr Speaker, I know the Prime Minister is aware about the Watford Community Exchange which is happening on Friday, which is a, a, mink, a meeting between 50 businesses and 50 charities and community organisations. And I hope the Prime Minister will congratulate Chris Love of Freedom Communications who have already offered 150 hours of their time to help local charities, including Westfield Community Centre. And I do hope the Prime Minister and ministers to initiate these proceedings in their constituencies because it's the big society in action. 
think my honourable friend is absolutely right. A very large part of the big society is businesses coming together to help voluntary groups and charities in local communities. And I think it's excellent that he's doing that good work in his constituency and I pay tribute to all those that are joining him. And as I said earlier, it is good news that volunteering is up, charitable giving is up, the big society is getting bigger. Is he still eating processed beef? I'm following very carefully what the Food Standards Agency say, and what the Food Standards Agency say is that there is nothing unsafe on our shelves. Martin Vickers. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. A, a review into the procedures at the Northern uh, uh, Lincolnshire and Goole Hospital Trust is being carried out because of the high mortality rate. Clearly, this is of considerable concern to my constituents. Can the Prime Minister assure them that whatever recommendations come out of the review will be implemented in full? Well, I can certainly give, give that assurance. It is important we get to the bottom of any hospital that has an unnaturally high mortality rate. It's important these uh, inspections and investigations are properly carried out and that we all learn the lessons of the Midstaff's inquiry report. Order. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.